and welcome to another edition of the Paul's Body Engineering Podcast. Today, I'm flying solo and bringing you episode number nine. So thank you very much for joining us once again. And I really appreciate the support or the ongoing support that we've had in regards to this podcast and the delivery of the content within. So today, I want to talk about health and fitness misconceptions and myths because there's so many out there. There is so many misconceptions, so many, so much misunderstanding in the world of health and fitness. And look, you know what? For a new person, it can be very confusing, very confronting, very overwhelming. So for someone who isn't fully um, up to date with all the goings on of what is um, relevant in terms of evidence-based training, coaching, um, methods that have been researched to the hilt, you know, that you completely understand, that are effective, that are, that work, that are sustainable. Um, you know, it can be quite daunting to enter this sort of journey with little or, or no information or understanding. So I want to debunk quite a few myths today. And just a small disclaimer at the start, this is all based on not only my own professional opinion, but evidence-based research, um, evidence-based practitioners who have endorsed a lot of this stuff or have researched it. Um, it all comes from credible sources, uh, whether it be the, the, the ones I've just mentioned or even medical journals, scientific research papers. It's come from credible sources whereby uh, those that have, I guess, spruced the opposite of what I'm going to say tend to come from unreliable sources or they're just utilizing their insta fame insta exposure uh, mass followings on social media to sell or uh, promote certain products devices plans etc um, and they're just using mass marketing to do so so unfortunately that's sort of the way of the world at the moment but what i want to do is try and debunk a lot of those myths and provide you with up-to-date evidence and provide basically what these misconceptions and myths are, but also the fact that they're not true. And that's through sheer research. So anyway, I've babbled on enough. Let's get to the list and we'll go through it one at a time. Now, if anyone has any other suggestions as to whether what they're following or what they're doing or um, what they want to do is a potential misconception or myths, please message me directly and I'll happily talk to you about it. So the first one, and this is the one I get, I get this a lot because I, I predominantly work with females. It's just the way my business works. But ladies that train weights get bulky. Now we all know that this is not the case. Okay, when when females lift weight, there is a number of benefits that come with this. Not only do they get stronger, they improve their hormonal balance, they improve their joint strength, they improve their mobility, they improve their bone density. Um, and, and that goes across both males and females. But females have this, uh, particularly those that are uneducated or haven't really entered the health, their health and fitness journey yet, sort of have a, a, an understanding that if they lift weight, all of a sudden they're going to get massive. They're going to get all these muscles they didn't want. And that's why a lot of them stick to cardio-based exercise. And look, there's nothing wrong with cardio-based exercise if that's what you enjoy. But if your goal is to tone up, and I do that in inverted commas, uh, get lean while maintaining muscle, then you need to lift weight. And no, you're not going to get big. You're not going to get massive. If you want to get big and massive, there is a way to train and eat to do that. But for those that just generally want to be healthy and fit and look good and have a shapely body, then you need to lift weight. As simple as that. So I wanted to debunk that one first because it's a very, very common one. 
Okay, second one, and I just touched on it. The only way to lose weight is through cardio and lots and lots of cardio. Again, not true. Okay, I have for the past six years worked with numerous individuals, both male and female, and the predominant 90% of their training is weight-based training. And 90% of those clients are in it to lose weight. So they basically work out in the gym, they eat right, and that's it. They don't do excessive amounts of cardio. I'm not prescribing hours and hours of cardio on the treadmill, on the bike, group classes, hit sessions, any sort of thing. And again, I state that there is nothing wrong with those forms of exercise. It depends on the individual's goal. However, cardio is not the only form of exercise to assist you in losing weight. And in point of fact, if your goal is to get toned, look good, be strong, maintain muscle mass, then cardio is not the answer because you can potentially burn muscle through excessive amounts of cardio. So you need to be able to lift weight and lift weight regularly. The next one I want to touch on, spot training specific areas. I often hear it time and time again, oh, I wanna, I wanna tone up my glutes or I wanna get rid of this fat around my waist or I want my legs to be more shapely. Well, you can train those areas, don't get me wrong, but you cannot target areas to remove fat. It doesn't work like that. The human body does not work like that. You need to diet down, eat accordingly, diet down, and the body fat will come off over time. But the body chooses where the fat comes off. And nine times out of 10, it works from the head down to the shoulders, down to the chest, down to the waist, and then the legs, the glutes, and the um, the lower abdominal area is generally last. Some people are different. Everybody's physiology is different. Everybody's genetics are different. But you cannot spot train an area in order to try and lose weight in that area. It just doesn't work like that. So that's a no-go. Uh, the next one, you have to train for an hour and a half or 90 minutes for a training session to be effective. Rubbish. You do not. You do not have to spend endless hours in the gym to ensure that you're getting the most out of a session. If you're spending an hour and a half to two hours in the gym every single time, chances are you're, you've got too much downtime, your rest periods are too long, and you're over-exercising, you're doing too much. An effective weight training exercise should be able to be managed within 45 minutes to an hour. Like, granted, again, again, it depends on the level of trainer you are. If you're an advanced lifter and you're doing lots of deadlifts or squats or big lifts in some way, then you need bigger rest periods, so your sessions are gonna take longer. However, if you're in it for just general health and fitness, to build muscle, um, if you're a newish to intermediate lifter, then 45 minutes to an hour is more than sufficient. So you, you shouldn't be spending that much time in, in the gym. Your program must be taking way too long or your rest periods are too long or you're getting distracted too easy. Okay, next one. You have to be sore to have had a good successful workout. No, no you don't. Soreness comes from um, obviously when you, particularly when you do weight training, you know your, your muscle fibers are torn, and the, the soreness reflects the re, the repair and recovery process your body is undertaking. But you don't have to be sore every single time you train, and you don't have to think that you have to train hard enough to get sore. Don't get me wrong. Again, make sure that you are training hard. Make sure that you are training intensely, because that is the objective of a, of a weight training session. But you don't have to pull up sore. Okay, it is not the case. And if you are Training consistently, so three, four, five times a week for that 45 minute to an hour with good supporting nutrition, chances are you won't be sore all that often. The main types of soreness that come about 
um, with someone who trains consistently is when there's a change of program, when there's a change of loading, a change of volume. Um, if you have a, a break, like a week off, and then you come back to weight training, so your body has rested and recovered, and you come back to it, then yes, you will be sore. Those things are generally the case, but you do not have to be sore all the time. That is not a sign of a good workout. Next one, abdominals. Everyone's fixated and focused on having a six pack or an eight pack or a 10 pack or whatever, but you don't need to do a million sit-ups to make that happen, okay? In point of fact, most of my clients don't do any abdominal work. Now, there is an argument to say that abdominals are a major muscle group and they should be worked just like everything else. And yes, I, I completely appreciate that. But if you're doing compound lifting, so if you're doing deadlifting, um, rack deads, lunges, leg press, bench press, squats, uh, variations of squats, uh, hip thrusts, all of these require core engagement. So if you're doing them correctly with proper core engagement, your abdominal wall is being worked and it's being worked quite extensively. So you're working your abdominals, you're building your abdominals, your abdominals are getting stronger. Now, how do you bring them to bring them up so that you have them on display? Diet, good nutrition. You cannot imagine doing a thousand sit-ups a day and all of a sudden expect to have a six-pack if you're carrying around a beer belly or you've got excess body fat around your waist and midsection. It just doesn't happen like that. So make sure that you focus on compound lifts. And look, again, you, you can do abdominal work. Don't get me wrong, there's plenty of ways to do it. There's plenty of body weight and weighted exercise to do it. And if that's your cup of tea, go for it. I'm not here to stop you, but I'm here to say that you don't need to do a million sit-ups to effectively develop your core. Okay. Now, I mentioned this briefly before. If you happen to take a week off, you go away on holidays, or if you just feel like you need time away from the gym, which everyone does at some point, life does get crazy and busy, you're not gonna lose all your gains. You're not gonna lose all your muscle with a week off. In fact, you're not gonna lose all your muscle with a month off. It's gonna be hard to get back into it because you will lose that routine, and obviously, you will lose a level of strength and fitness for that matter, but you're not gonna lose your gains. There's been plenty of research done to suggest that gains or your muscle growth will not get, will not, um, I guess, erode over time because you're taking a step away from the gym. And everyone does need to take time off from now and then. It's called rest days, it's called recovery days, and sometimes a week off is really, really beneficial. But you're not gonna lose your muscle, okay? It will not happen. There is such a thing as called muscle memory, and you will be able to pick up where you left off. And even if you've had, like, say you've had a significant injury, like, say, Knock on wood, this doesn't happen to anyone, but you blow out your knee and obviously you're on crutches for a period of time. So you can't train effectively. You can't train to the level you want to train. So it might be three, four months that you're out before you get back into the gym. There's been a number of research uh, studies done to show that even people that have sustained an injury and can't train, then get back into training. If they have lost any muscle, it, get, it comes back quite quickly. Again, you need to support that with good nutrition but it is an effective way of rebuilding that muscle up is getting straight back into the gym and doing resistance-based training once again. Okay, let's move right along. Fasting. It's a big, big popular movement, fasting. Fasted cardio, intermittent fasting, the 16-8 rule. Again, research has proven that this is not a superior way to diet over conventional methods. So by fasting till lunch lunchtime and then 
eating you know until 6 p.m or whatever is no more superior than if you had breakfast mid-morning snack lunch afternoon snack and dinner okay it, it's it's not the case you generally work in a 24-hour window whereby you've got a set amount of calories that you need to consume within that window and that's it so while fasting may make you feel good and again i stipulate if you enjoy it if it makes you feel good to fast until 10 o'clock 11 o'clock 12 o'clock then do it that's cool that's not a problem but for those that have a big breakfast for those that have have to eat or feel like they have to eat five six meals a day that's not a problem as well as long as you're hitting your caloric intake and your targets it's not a drama fasting is not superior to standard dieting it is not and that applies to fasted cardio where people think if they work if they train on cardio based equipment or do sessions and they haven't eaten they're going to burn more body fat doesn't work like that it does not work like that okay intermittent fasting same principle 16-8 same principle okay you have a 24-hour window to eat your caloric intake and then you restart the next day now let's move on to diets this is a big one because even just the other week i signed up a new client and they believe that they needed to eat excessively low carb based food in order to lose weight and that's not the case low carb low fat plant-based keto all of these dieting options all have relevance okay but it depends on the individual and depends on their lifestyle obviously if you're plant-based or vegan or vegetarian that's your choice or that's your belief cool that's not a problem that is not a superior diet to a standard carnivore diet or a standard um, omnivore diet it is not okay and i know the game changers documentary had a lot to do with people rethinking the way that they eat and i actually sat on a panel in india and discussed this at length it is not a superior way to eat it is not in point of fact protein sources in a plant-based or vegan diet are quite hard to uh, hit your numbers with and the quality of protein compared to standard whey-based proteins are not as uh, efficient in terms of absorption rate and in terms of recovery rate. So again, nothing wrong with a plant-based diet if that is your choice, but research has shown that whey-based or meat-based uh, protein does have a better recovery and absorption rate. Now, low-carb. Granted, there are methods to utilize low-carb dieting protocols to lose body fat. It's a kind of a standard way to go. But what is too low? Like if you're cutting out fruits, vegetables, grains, and you're basically just eating chicken and beans or chicken and broccoli, then that's a pretty excessive and intense way to diet. And that's not a lot of, a lot of carbs. Where do we get our energy from? Carbohydrates, right? And then we move on to low fat diets. Again, not the greatest approach um, because it is quite detrimental if you go low fat for a long period of time because you know fat supports our brain activity. It supports our hormone development. It supports our skin and our nails and our teeth. Um, it's, it's a very important component of a diet. That's why diets need to be well balanced in terms of carbs, proteins, and fats, not just one superior to the other um keto is a very popular one everyone thinks keto is the the be all and end all and i've done keto i've put plenty of clients on keto but it's done it's been done for a reason okay it might be a case that they've had a poor diet in history where they've um crash dieted a lot done a lot of fad diets so their metabolism is shot so keto is certainly an option to change their energy source 
and just trial it for a while. It's great for females as well because obviously it's a high fat source. But all diets need to be based around a caloric intake. Okay, you hear it time and time again. The best diet is a calorie deficit, and that is true. But people seem to have this misconception that one diet is better than another, and it's not the case. Um, the other one I wanted to touch on, which there's actually books written about this in the in the bestseller sections of book, common common bookstores, and that is the 800 calorie diet. In my professional opinion, this is downright stupidity. If you're sitting on 800 calories a day, Every day for a period of time, you are going to get excessively tired. You are going to get excessively foggy. You're not going to be able to train efficiently. It's going to have impacts on your health that will be long lasting. So I urge anyone who is doing an 800 calorie diet currently to stop. It is dumb. It is. It should not have been allowed to be published. There's been a lot of uproar about it. It is stupid. So please, an 800 calorie diet is excessively low. Okay, moving right along. Weight loss shakes and meal replacement shakes. Now these do have a place and I understand the concept or the model behind them in that they're there to support people who are time poor, who also want to lose weight but don't want to prepare a meal. So they're effectively replacing a meal with a shake. But the problem is they're still packed with calories, right? So they're not low carb or anything like that, most of them anyway. Um, but they're packed with chemicals for starters. So you're basically drinking all this crap. But second to that, what happens when you have like a, you just make a smoothie or something at home um, when you're really hungry? Like it gives you a bit of a full sensation for a period of time. But if you do that over and over again um, at the same time every day, you get hungrier. And when people don't have self-control or they're at home and they've got a, a fridge or a pantry full of food, They tend to have a second meal after the shake, thinking the shake's going to perform some magic trick, when in point of fact, it's not. It's there to replace a meal. But if you're not being strong enough to have that meal as just a shake and nothing else, then you're going to eat another snack or a meal after that. And all of a sudden, you've blown your calories because you're having effectively two meals. So as good as they are, you need to be aware of what you're doing and the process you're taking. They can serve a purpose, but if you have the option to re- to eat real whole food, do it. Don't shortcut yourself or shortcut your diet by having shakes, okay? They, protein shake is different because sometimes people struggle to get enough protein in their diet, and a protein shake is low-carb, low-fat, and it's pure protein, pure whey-based protein or plant-based protein, depending on what you're having. And it's a great way to top up your day with protein. However, a meal replacement shake or a weight loss shake is a different kettle of fish altogether. Um, And I'll just touch on protein shakes. So the next point I want to raise is that there's a theory out there that you have to have a protein shake straight after training. If you've done an hour's training, you've got to get a protein shake within 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. No, that is ridiculous. A lot of the time you don't feel like eating or drinking because you've just worked extremely hard. So look, there is a, a an anabolic window. There's a lot of conjecture around it. Um, I generally tell my clients, if you can get some food in, pr- predominantly carb and protein, because carb helps support energy, and obviously protein helps with your recovery and your breakdown, have it you know, an hour, an hour and a half, 90 minutes. Like That's more beneficial. If you try and eat or chug down a shake straight after training, particularly if you've worked really hard, you're going to feel sick and bloated and yuck. 
and it'll put you off doing it again. So you're better off waiting. You're not gonna miss this magic 20 minute window and have it further down the track when you've recovered, you're, you're sort of, you're composed and your body feels better and you feel like you can consume something decent. Okay, the next one. Have you ever thought this, where you have a bad meal, a big binge on something, like you go out and you you, you have a pizza and chips and a, some ice cream and then you have several beers and then you wake up the next day and go, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Right, I'm gonna go and climb a mountain, then I'm gonna go and spend an hour on the car, on the, some cardio equipment, I'm gonna do some weights, I've gotta burn it off. It doesn't work like that. There are a few people in the world where the calorie in, calorie out scenario actually applies because they're burning just as much as they're eating. Extreme, not extreme, but elite athletes are the prime example of that. You cannot burn off a bad meal. My advice is if you have a bad night, if you have a bad day, if you have you know a meal that you feel you shouldn't have had based on your current programming and, and dieting, move on. Wake up the next day and just carry on as if it didn't happen, okay? Because if you try and excessively trying to burn it off, well, for one, it, that doesn't work because you're not going to burn anywhere near as off, anywhere near as much off as you've eaten. But two, you you just need to learn to adapt to the situation, accept what you've done, and learn from the scenario, learn from the telltale signs that started it, and just start the next day fresh. Simple as that. Water under a bridge. Um, the other one which I touched on earlier again is you have to eat six times a day for dieting to be successful. No, you don't. As I mentioned earlier in regards to intermittent fasting or fasting in general, you don't have to have six meals a day. You don't have to have three meals a day. You have to eat in accordance with your caloric intake. So if you've been given a set number of calories to hit each day, so this has come from a sports nutritionist or a, a dieting professional, someone who has obviously... Um, adequate qualifications, insurance, things like that, that can prescribe this type of dieting for you, then you need to hit those numbers. And how you do that is effectively up to you. Now, there are parameters around that based on training. You know, obviously you should eat before and after training within a certain time frame, just so you don't feel faint, you don't feel tired, fatigued, etc. Other than that, depending on your lifestyle, you need to make the calories fit your lifestyle. If you work eight hours, 12 hours a day and you have very little time to eat, but that's how you will operate and you have a big breakfast and a big dinner, cool, that is not a problem, okay? For the general public, that is not a problem. If you have to have eight meals a day because you work night shift or you have lots of little breaks, you work from home, etc., then that's cool as well. Again, as long as you're eating your calories, it does not matter, okay? For the general population, it does not matter. Now, the other one, is you can't eat after 8 p.m. at night because your metabolism stops working or you're gonna put on excessive amounts of weight or whatever. Again, this is just something ridiculously stupid that someone's come up with. Look, eating late at night is not ideal because you go to bed with a full bloated stomach and it, it can disrupt your sleep. And if you are weighing yourself the next day, chances are your weight's gonna be up because you've eaten later that night. So your body hasn't fully digested or fully processed the food. But that's okay. It is not a bottom, it's not a bad thing. If you have to eat late at night because say you've, you've worked late or you've got kids, family, etc., and you can't eat till later at night, that's okay. That is not a problem. But it is not 
a rule that your body switches its metabolism off after 8 p.m. or 6 p.m. or whatever it might be and doesn't process anything until the next day. Again, complete and utter rubbish. Okay, one of my favorites, the juice cleanse. Now, I love this. Now, I'm not going to get into the whole gut health debate or detoxing or anything like that. But if you're replacing meals with juices, that is not a smart operation. It is not because generally the juices that you're referring to are green juices. Excuse me green juices which have very low calories in them. If you're blending celery, spinach, um, apple, water, ice, I don't even know what else goes in them to be honest. Um, the Those components are of a very low caloric nature and particularly there's no fat generally, there's no protein and it's mainly trace carbs. So while it sounds good in theory, you're giving your body a detox and you're cleansing it out because you're eating things that are really super healthy for you. And if that's all you're doing, please stop, okay? Because that is ridiculous. If you have a caloric target to hit each day, that's not gonna do much for you. If you're doing it for a cleanse, you still need to eat other food to help. So if you need to do a cleanse, just eat clean. Eat your vegetables, eat your fruit, eat your whole grains, okay? Eat your lean meats. If you're a vegetarian, eat your tofu and your nuts and um, your, your, your legumes and things like that. But if you're wholly and solely focused on a juice cleanse as the only thing you're taking in, man, you're gonna feel faint, you're gonna feel foggy, you're gonna be tired. Um, your digestive system is not gonna like it, so you're potentially gonna get digestive uh, bowel movement issues as well. Like it's not a, a smart operation, it really isn't. Uh, sports drinks. Now, post-workout sports drinks. Again, uh, Gatorade, Powerade, all these sorts of electrolyte drinks are very popular post-workout. And they're very popular in, uh, I guess, sporting teams, um, athletic situations where afterwards you need to have them. And if that's been advised to you by a coach, great, do it. Okay, but after cardio, after a cardio session, a weight training session, a hit session, and if you're focusing on dieting, so if you want to lose weight or shape up, if you want to develop natural muscle, get stronger, all those sorts of things, sports drinks generally have around 50 grams of sugar in them. So 50 to 60 grams of carbs. It is scary how much sugar is in them. So I wouldn't be having them because straight away, that's a, that's if it's 50 grams of carbs, that's 200 calories out of your day in one little drink, right? So I wouldn't be encouraging you to have them post-workout if you're just an everyday Joe, just trying to lose some weight and exercise. It is not a smart operation. If you need a drink post-workout, a BCAA is a good option, a protein shake is a good option, um, water is a great option, but a sports drink can catch you out in terms of calories, so be aware of that. Protein bars, that's the next one I wanna touch on. I've done several posts on protein bars. Protein bars are so prevalent now on the market. There's so many types, so many flavors. They seem too good to be true. Um, they're a great alternative for a snack. But they're full of crap, man. They're, they're, they're full of chemicals. And the other thing is the packet, what you scan into MyFitnessPal or what you work out in terms of your carbs, proteins, and fats is more often than not incorrect because there's alcohol sugars in there. They use xylitol, sucralose, um, molotol, um, 
there, I can't remember all the other ones, that the, the alcohol sugars that don't have to be declared as a carbohydrate. Therefore, they're hidden, but they're still a calorie. Alcohol sugars are three calories per gram. So you can be caught out substantially. So you need to be aware of that. Protein bars are not the answer. Make your own protein snacks. At least then you can, you can track and contain what you're eating. But if you have lots of protein bars, not only is it not great for your digestion because you're eating a bunch of crap and chemicals, it's, you're, you're going to be out in terms of your caloric uh, tracking. So be mindful of that. This also applies to low-cal or, or low-carb protein ice cream. Now, there's heaps of them that have come on the markets in the last couple of years. Your Halo Tops. Um, I think Streets have put out a product as well. Um, your uh, Skinny Cow. All of these things, again, have hidden calories because they're using alcohol sugars. Your, your, pro, your Fro Pro, I think it is. Oh, look, it does my head in because people think they're they're doing the right thing. Their intentions are good because they're having something they believe is low calorie or low carb, but they are being completely misinformed through clever marketing and the smart use of alcohol sugars. That's what it comes down to. Do you know what? I did a comparison a while ago in a video between a protein ice cream and a, just a standard low fat ice cream, like a Paul's or a Streets or something. And believe it or not, the standard low fat ice cream came out on top in terms of calories if you incorporate the alcohol sugars, which should be calculated as well. So while you think you're doing the right thing and you're not losing weight and you're wondering why, that could be a very high reason. So just be mindful of that. The other one, the big one, low carb or zero carb beer. Everyone loves a good beer, okay? We, we live in Australia. We love a good beer on a hot Sunday afternoon. Nothing better. But if you're having a low-carb or zero-carb beer and you read the pack and it says like 1.9 grams of carbs per serve and one serve is one stubby, guess what? You're being misinformed. How do people make beer? Okay, what's the beer process? They need sugar. They need alcohol sugar. So there is alcohol sugar in these beers. It is hidden. Again, another scenario where you can be easily... Um, confused, easily misinformed, and you think you're doing the right thing, but unfortunately, you're you're miscalculating your calories once again. So I must apologize in advance for that, but again, another source of clever marketing. So the last one I want to touch on, and I have touched on this um, in regards to eating late at night, and that is overnight weight gain. Okay, people freak out when they jump on the scales the next day and their weight has gone up. Guess what? It's weight, not fat. If you're following your plan and you're eating your calories correctly and you're um, training effectively, it is not fat gain. You cannot gain fat overnight unless you've gone on a massive pig out. If you've stuck to your food, then it's not fat, it is weight. And weight can be reflected in a number of things. Okay, there's a number of variables that create a weight gain. Things like hormones, stress, poor sleep, anxiety, lack of water, weather, the heat, um, salt, heavy sodium intake, late meal, all right? All of those things can impact your body in a way that it creates fluid on the body, it gives you um, fluid retention. And what does fluid equate to? Weight, not fat. Weight. You don't get stressed and put on fat unless you eat, obviously, you know, the, the, the kitchen pantry or something. 
But if you have been heavily stressed, if you have a poor night's sleep, if your kids have woken you up, if you ate really late, if you had heavy, salty, chili, spicy meal, if you haven't drunken a lot of water, um, you know, if you've been out in the hot sun all day and then come in and gone straight to bed, well, chances are your weight's going to be up the next day and that is okay. That is not a problem. That will stabilize over time. Okay, Don't get in the habit of weighing yourself every single day unless instructed to do so because it can play with your head. Your weight will fluctuate. That's what the human body does. It fluctuates from day to day depending on the scenario, depending on what's thrown at, depending on your stress level, your sleep levels, your water intake. All of these things can impact your weight, not your fat, your weight. So I hope that has helped everyone with a few misconceptions and myths. I, I racked my brain for days coming up with that list, so I hope I haven't missed any obvious ones out. If I have, please DM me or message me, and I'll certainly have a look at it. And if it's something I'm aware of or know about or can point you in, some re- in the direction of some research, um, then I'm more than happy to do so because... I believe in educating um, everybody in regards to good, sustainable health and fitness. Um, whereas, unfortunately, we're inundated with, or not inundated, we're flooded with so much misconception, so much misinformation, so much poor content through various social media platforms like Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, etc., where all these health and fitness jockeys preach all these processes for quick sales, for um, clients, for money-making ideas, when in point of fact, weight loss is hard, weight loss takes time, weight loss needs to be sustainable and it needs to be healthy. You need to set yourself up for the long term. Don't look for a quick fix. Don't look for a fad diet. Don't look for an eight-week challenge that doesn't have a recovery plan after it. Set yourself up, invest in your health and fitness and make sure you're doing it with someone who is aptly qualified. Make sure they are qualified in not only training but also nutrition and they have supporting insurance to do that as well. And they've got the runs on the board. They're experienced. They've had success with numerous clients previously. They've got great testimonials. Work with someone who has that accountability. But don't just follow a cookie-cutter program that is a template that is used for hundreds of people because that seems to be the way to go. Your programming needs to be customized. Your, your dieting needs to be customized and needs to be customized to you for your goals. Right, I thank you very much, guys. I appreciate you listening in again. If you'd like, if you really enjoyed this podcast, please screenshot it and share it. Tag myself, Paul's Body Engineering, and always subscribe. We are on Apple Podcasts, we're on Spotify, we're on Google, we're on SoundCloud. And as I say to every client, every single day, have a great day.